Welcome to it. It's Husker Sports Weekly, episode number 42 for you this week, and we are locked and loaded with more Husker content. Spring game this past weekend, we'll talk about the new schedule change that also happened just yesterday, adding Fordham to that September 4th slot for the Huskers this upcoming fall. So they're scratching one game, adding another. Uh, We will talk about all the Huskers that were drafted in this last weekend's NFL draft, which is very exciting for all those Huskers and their families. And we will finally wrap up the episode with baseball and seeing Will Bolt's team really struggle for the first time this year in a series sweep loss against Rutgers at Haymarket Park. But before we get into any of that, you should know who you're listening to. My name's Connor Clark, along with Grant Hansen, as always. And we have a very special guest that many of you may have heard of to help us out with today's episode. Indeed, Connor, joining us this week is someone most of you are pretty used to hearing. You hear him each night on Sports Nightly each week. And, of course, his greatest role is play-by-play voice of both the Husker football and baseball team. So joining us this week, the voice of the Huskers, Greg Sharp. Grant, Connor, great to be with you guys. I hope you survived uh, another school year that's wrapping up here this week. Yes, very much so. Thanks so much for joining us here today. And we'll just kick it off with adding Fordham to the football schedule. Uh, So completing the schedule once for all. There was a lot of talks about uh, scrapping that late game in the season against Southeastern Louisiana, uh, I believe it was, um, because the Illinois game is no longer in Dublin, Ireland, or wherever it was going to be. And uh, so they, they got rid of the week two, or I guess really week one by week, um, and they shoved that in in late November. So uh, a, more of a plus for the Huskers, not kind of wasting that bye week so early in the year so they can get a, a, a good amount of games under their belt heading into the final two against Wisconsin and Iowa, which, which will be after that bye week. But, uh, Greg, just your initial reactions to adding this game and how will it help or hurt uh, the Huskers coming up this fall? Yeah, I don't think there's any negatives to this, Connor. I think, you know, you you wanted a you don't you didn't need a bye week after one game when you're flying an hour to Champaign, Illinois. You might have needed it if you were flying across the pond to Dublin, Ireland, and with all the time changes. I think that's why there was initially a bye week for Labor Day weekend. It also gives Nebraska another home game in the month of September. You know, they as it sat, you only had the one home game in the whole month of September. That was the Buffalo matchup. And and it also gives you two strategically placed bye weeks one in october one in november which would be will fall between the wisconsin and the iowa game so this is a huge huge boost for nebraska there is no negative to this at all you trade one fcs opponent for another neither one are top of the line fcs programs anyway whether it's southeast louisiana or fordham so i I think this is a great move i know it's one they've been working on for the last couple of months and nothing but positives with this move that was announced earlier in the week you know greg you look at the blowback at some you know most of the reactions have been positive but there's been some kind of weird blowback to me uh from a lot of people who are saying that like well acting like Fordham is I guess kind of copping out uh but it's as you mentioned it's just another FCS school that's coming in here on September 4th it's just earlier instead of later yeah I mean you're, you're, you're same division of football is what you're getting and you're getting a team in Fordham who plays in the Patriot League and they've got two of the final four teams in the FCS playoffs that are going on right now. I mean, they, they play in the same conference as James Madison and Delaware, two teams that are currently playing. Two of the final four, Delaware will play South Dakota State this coming weekend. And uh, James Madison's traveling down to Texas to play Sam Houston State. So this is a, an equal swap out. 
and it's just a better time. I mean, Nebraska tried to keep Southeast Louisiana on the schedule, but they already had a game scheduled for September the 4th, and they couldn't get that moved. And so uh, Nebraska had to say, all right, we'll try to find a slot later in our schedule, maybe in 2023, 2024, somewhere down the road to play you guys in that year. But this is an equal swap out, again, from the Nebraska standpoint. I don't see any negative to it at all. Now, looking at the schedule for the rest of the year as well, it's been described as very hard. Uh, a couple of people have described it as murderous uh, of a schedule coming into this year. Uh, lots of really good teams, including Oklahoma in the non-conference. You obviously have teams like Ohio State, Michigan, Iowa, Wisconsin. Lots of those games are at home for this Huskers team, which uh, obviously will play a large advantage with expected full capacity back at Memorial Stadium this fall. So, with that being said, Greg, what do you think of this schedule and what are some kind of realistic expectations for Husker fans coming this fall? Well, it is really hard. I mean, when you have a schedule that includes Oklahoma, Michigan, and Ohio State, it's hard. And I always look at the crossover games. And so Nebraska's crossover games, Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State. Now, Michigan State's, to me, a bit of a puzzle. I don't know what to expect out of Mel Tucker's second year in, in East Lansing, They've had like 25 guys enter the transfer portal this semester alone. I, to me, as I look at this schedule, the two, the biggest, the two most important games for Nebraska, and people may scoff at this a bit, but to me, the most important games for Nebraska are the first two conference games, Illinois and Michigan State. If Nebraska wants to have a really good season, they need to win both of those games, and they're both road games, but they're both winnable road games for this program and they would also if you can win both of those games will allow you to get off to a really good start and momentum in the sport of football is so huge and it's something Scott Ross has not been able to have in his first three years at Nebraska he's not been able to get off to a good start where they could build some momentum and build confidence uh, in your team this if they could win those two games in the first five that that's going to give them a chance to really get off to a good start so to me as I look at it those are the two biggest games of the season at Illinois, at Michigan State in that first four or five week stretch of the year. You know, one of the most interesting wrinkles to me that this Fordham move makes is towards the end of the year in November. You know, you had a stretch at one point that was going to be Ohio State, and then you had Southeastern Louisiana in there in between them and Wisconsin, and then Iowa. That was going to be a really brutal month. And now you get a week off between Ohio State and Wisconsin. Uh, and then you, you get those last two games that are going to be somewhat uh, toss-up to leaning loss. But how big is that bye week that you get? It's huge. Absolutely huge to have a bye week between two really physical football teams in Wisconsin and Iowa for Nebraska. So, you know, you, 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 you put your bye weeks in mid-October and in mid-November. Those are two really good times and teams need – a little bit of a break, a breather, a chance to catch their breath, heal some wounds, get some guys healthy again. I, I, I really like the way this thing falls out now that you've added Fordham on Labor Day when you're still fresh and hopefully you're coming off of a win at, at Illinois and building that, that big momentum early in the season. So I, I, think it's, I think the schedule falls out pretty well. It's tough, absolutely, but it falls out about as well as it could for Nebraska. Now a big question mark that is – always kind of kind of talked about between Nebraska and a certain school in the Big Ten West which is Northwestern those games always seem to be really close no matter how good or bad one or the other team is 
And you mentioned if Nebraska is able to win the first game of the year at Illinois and then their second Big Ten game of the year at Michigan State, that sets up a homecoming Big Ten home opener against Northwestern. So what kind of game should we expect to see there? Is Northwestern going to come out and win in Memorial Stadium, which they've had good history doing so, or is Nebraska going to get the best of Northwestern? Well, you're absolutely right. You know one thing, it's going to be close. They always are when these two teams play. And Northwestern lost a lot. I mean, their quarterback, Peyton Ramsey, is gone. I know they got the young man from South Carolina to transfer in to be there. Probably they'll be their starting quarterback. They lost a terrific group of linebackers that left that team. Uh, they lost a terrific corner who was a first-round pick last week in the NFL draft. So they, they, they took a pretty good loss uh, with graduation. So I think it'll be a highly competitive game, very close. You think about two years ago, Lane McCallum, the walk-on for Norfolk, somehow kicked that ball through everybody's arms to have the game-winning field goal. Last year, Northwestern prevailed, but Nebraska led at the half. Nebraska threw two interceptions into the end zone. So I, it was a very winnable game a year ago for Nebraska. Northwestern went on to have that magical season, winning the West, playing in the Big Ten championship game. So when people think there's a wide gap between Nebraska and, and Northwestern, they, they're not studying it very well. It's a, these are two really evenly matched teams, and I would expect a real tussle when the Cats come to Memorial Stadium in the fall. You know, another pair of teams that I think are just as much as a mystery as Michigan State are Michigan and Minnesota. You know, you look at Michigan, and it's just been a really, really rough time for Coach Harbaugh up there. And then you look at Minnesota, and Minnesota started very, very rough, had a lot of COVID issues last year, but they closed the year relatively well. What do you expect from those two teams? Yeah, Michigan's a bit of baffle, right? If you go back to the draft last weekend, Michigan had, I think they were third or fourth in the country with guys that were drafted. And yet they have not even been close to competing for the East Championship. The Buckeyes have just clearly put them in the dust. And and, and Penn State's been a program that's been ahead of Michigan. And Indiana has vaulted Michigan in the last couple of seasons. So a lot of question marks. I was surprised that that Michigan re-upped the contract with Jim Harbaugh. I thought they would part ways with, with khakis uh, at the end of last season, but they didn't. They went back. So, I, to me, they are a mystery. Minnesota is a, what has happened, and, and a lot of people chuckle at P.J. Fleck. They laugh at his style. But P.J. Fleck, the only people that need to believe in P.J. Fleck are in that locker room, and they do. They, they to, that, he has total buy-in from that football team. And so they're – they're a team that believes and whether they have the right town or not, that doesn't matter. They believe that what he is telling them and if they follow what he's telling them, they're going to be successful. So they're going to be a hard out. And I really haven't studied their schedule a lot to see if I think they're a legitimate contender in the West, but I know this, they're going to be a difficult out for anybody that plays them because he gets that group to believe he's got a quarterback in Tanner Morgan that seems to make the right plays at the right times for them. And so I, They'll be a very, very difficult team to, to deal with, and that's a huge stretch for Nebraska, that Michigan, Minnesota, Purdue, Northwestern stretch of the schedule. That's a, that's a part of the schedule that probably doesn't get enough attention. Well, you mentioned the draft there, and this week two Huskers got drafted, Brendan Hymas in the fifth round, pick 159 to the Chargers, and then Matt Farniak in the seventh round, closing things out to the Cowboys at pick 238. You also had DiCaprio Voodle signing with the Chiefs, Diedrich Mills, to the Lions at Jack Stoll, all signing with the Eagles as undrafted free agents. Your thoughts on the guys who will be moving on to the NFL? Really happy for Farniak. Wasn't sure he would get picked. 
Um, I think he's a very versatile player. He can play tackle, can play guard. He'll work his tail off. So I think anytime somebody uses one of their precious draft picks on you means they believe in you. So they have some belief in you. So excited for Matt. Knew Hymas would go, didn't know when he would go. Figured he would be a day three guy. I was hopeful that maybe he would go in the fourth round. He did fall to the fifth. Uh, but Hymas is, is, is a really good technician. I mean, you're, you're a four-year starter in, in the Big Ten. You've done something right, and he was, and he can play either the right side or the left side. That versatility will, will bode well for him. And I'm really happy for the guys who signed as uh, free agents. Now, it's a little bit longer path to make a team as a free agent, but um, obviously somebody thought enough of and Those guys were all gone by the Saturday night, so just a few hours after the draft ended, all those guys that you laid out and boodle and stole – uh, and were able and, and also Diedrich Mills were quickly snapped up by those teams. So wishing them the best of luck. We saw an undrafted running back a couple of years ago in Divina Zigbo, who stuck around the NFL with Jacksonville the last couple of years. I think Mills could do kind of the same thing. Buda runs really well. He's probably undersized for an NFL quarterback, but his speed will intrigue teams. And Jack Stoll is just a worker. He, he just gets in there. He's just a tough football player. He'll acquit himself well in that Eagles camp. So wishing all those guys good luck, but really happy for Farniak to be hear his name called on the final day and the final round of the draft. Well, you mentioned the guys going undrafted. And so Huskers have been a lot around that late rounds, those day three guys to undrafted. And how much do players succeed? And do, do they succeed more financially uh, or or – in their total progression going undrafted than drafted is there more advantage there you see guys like luke gifford who have worked their way up within the dallas cowboys uh, organization you mentioned divino zigbo uh how does that work for guys who are right there on the edge on day three well sometimes it, you know if you're you you might benefit more by not being picked because then you can go to a team you feel like you might have a better chance to make that team and that's where you hope your your agent's doing the work for you the agent is identified before draft, all right, these are the five or six teams we hope to hear from because I like your odds of making this team, even if it's a practice squad guy. So that's where you you hope you put your right management around you to find you the best spot to be a part of. And you mentioned some good guys. I'll throw in a guy like Chris Jones, who's still hanging around the NFL. He was an undrafted guy. He's bounced around to a couple of different teams in the National Football League and still making a earning a paycheck just because he kind of finds the right spot for a need in that defensive secondary. So uh, it, it, you you can spin it both ways. If somebody uses a draft pick on you, they like you enough to use one of their precious golden tickets on you. But if you don't get picked, then you become more of the suitor. You you go find a spot that works out better for you. I saw a number of guys over the weekend that 66% of last year's NFL rosters were made up of guys picked on the last day of the draft or they were undrafted free agents. That's a pretty high number. It makes sense when you think about it because with 53-man rosters, probably more guys fall into that category than your first, second, or third round picks do. All right, well, we'll take it to the spring game that happened this past weekend, May 1st. Grant and I talked about it a little bit on our Rapid Reactions episode on Sunday, but we have Greg Sharp on the line, so it's only right to talk about it with him as well. So, um, we will kind of get into the specifics in, in a couple of minutes, but just your overall reactions of the game and what was it like being back in Memorial Stadium for you with the atmosphere sort of being back? 
Yeah, I'm glad you started there because that's the biggest thing. The biggest takeaway was the fact that we had 36,000 plus in the stands. First time anybody had been in there since November of 2019. And just to see the gates open and fans walking through was really special. And to see people out tailgating and doing that makes you feel good and makes you feel like we're getting closer to being back to normal again. So that was a huge step. I think for a lot of people, I think Scott Frost said it best after the game. He goes, I needed this. I think the state needed this to see Memorial Stadium actually have fans inside there. And you think about the number of guys on that team that have not played at Memorial Stadium with anybody in there before. So it was a real thrill for them to be able to run out there on the field in the tunnel walk and be able to participate in, in a, a glorified practice, but in front of actual fans. So that was a cool thing to be able to to have that that day probably my biggest impression was I was really impressed with the physical nature of this football team this looked this is an impressive looking team the size um, the depth that they have particularly along both offense and defensive lines and even places like that running back room which I I, I I really liked what I saw from four or five of those running backs that had a chance to participate in the game on Saturday so I think those are probably my lead impressions great to have the fans back and just the physical look of this team, uh, I, I came away impressed with that. You know, Connor mentioned the atmosphere, and we'll wrap that up here with this question. But, like, you know, as someone who's been to, you know, 10-plus games in my life, 36,000 fans yesterday, for some reason, felt a lot like 90,000 still. It was really loud. And, and man, it just – seeing all those people back there yesterday seeing people walking seeing you know the old guy in the 70s letterman jacket listening to you on the radio I it just emotionally it got me every time it did it, it was there's just so many things that were great about yesterday it, what what was it like for you specifically finally seeing that yeah I, I got I got I got a little choked up with the tunnel walk and, and the way they mixed in uh, pandemic images, uh, COVID talk into that and what everyone's been through. I mean, life is was shut down there for a while here in the last 13 months. People lost family members to this vicious virus over the last 13 months. You guys as students, you had an odd, strange school year where a lot of your, your classes were done virtually. You didn't get a chance to really experience college life as it normally is and should be. So it, it's I mean, it's taken a toll on a lot of us. And so to, to kind of put that into a 30-second video that they play before the game was really emotional to see. And, and then just to hear the Husker Power chants and the Go Big Red chants from the crowd, uh, that was a cool, cool thing for everybody to be a part of. And hopefully, uh, you know, we get closer to September the 4th for that home opener with Fordham, and, and there's going to be a heck of a lot more people in the stadium then at, the, at that time than what we had on Saturday. But that was certainly a huge step in the right direction. Yeah, super excited for the home opener on September 4th against Fordham. As somebody who's never been to a Husker home game, Saturday was a really kind of small glimpse in, into what the whole sea of red is about. So that makes me specifically uh, very excited for this fall. But we'll transition into more of the actual play on the field that we saw uh, Grant and I talked about on Sunday how we were uh, impressed with some of the running backs, as you mentioned, Greg, uh, especially Jacquez Yant. That was a big one that stuck out to us. Um, we also talked about how Martinez was better than we thought he was going to be. Um, and we, we threw a little bit of Heinrich Harburg talk in there as well. But what who are some players that stood out to you and impressed you a little bit? Liked what I saw from uh, 
Samori Toure. I think he's going to be a nice part for that offense. I know Omar Manning dropped the long one, probably even dropped a touchdown pass, but you can see how physically gifted Omar is. Oliver Martin's going to be a really good player for this football team. Um, defensively, a lot of guys. I mean, I, I thought there were some guys on the on the white defensive line that made plays. I thought the polar bear, Nash Hutmaker, uh, acquitted himself quite nicely. Blaze Gunnerson, the the outside linebacker, made some plays on defense. Jamari Butler, I thought Miles Farmer, Braxton Clark did good things for that white defense. The red defense, when they the number one group was out there, they didn't really let the white do much at all. So, the, you know, they played really well. So there were a number of guys. You mentioned Yant. Yant's going to be a problem for teams. You 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 take the 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 ropes off him in a third or fourth quarter of a game when defenses start to get tired, and you throw that guy the way he runs out there. There are going to be teams going, "Are you kidding me? We got to try to tackle this dude here late in the game." He'll be a big weapon for Nebraska if they get to a fourth quarter with the lead and want to try to chew some clock up. Man, he is going to be a great weapon for them. But I thought other some other backs. I liked what I saw. From Gabe Irvin, I thought Marvin Scott looked like he maybe had added a quickness to his step from last fall. And Savion Morrison, if they can keep him healthy, I think that's a guy that has a chance to be good. So, man, I rattle off a bunch of names there. But I, there were a lot of guys that I go, wow, that'll play. That'll work. That that will be a that will be a guy that can make some things happen in a Big Ten football game in the fall. Well, you, t- you talk about Samari Touri, and, and that one's something that sticks out to me a lot. You know, the the – play I like a lot of people were really obsessed with that kind of that over the middle catch he had on the first drive where he took a pretty big shot from one of the corners held onto the ball uh, but the one that stuck out to me was just a fourth down I think it was either third or fourth uh and it was just a slot slant against a slot corner and he beat him by a solid step and it just stuck out to me because you know with Austin Allen on the inside you, you're gonna have Tory on the inside and the out and then on the outsides you have Omar and uh, Oliver Martin, this offense should be able to create a lot of vertical matchup problems. Uh, that, that, you know, someone, either a linebacker or a corner, is going to have to defend either Austin Allen or Samari Touri. And I, I think that's just so valuable. It's something the team hasn't had in the last couple of years. That is a great point, Grant. You're exactly right because the, now they start creating matchup issues for the defense. And I don't know that we've had enough receivers the last couple of years to do that, to really stretch a defense to go all right, what do we do with this? How do we handle this? And it's all about matchups. Good offense is all about getting a better matchup on the defense than they can handle. And I think now Scott Frost, Matt Lubick have more more bullets in their chamber to go to. They know they can start putting two guys in, in one side of the field or spread them out with a different look. So I, that came away. And I'll tell you guys, there's three freshman wide receivers that are going to get here in June that are all going to be pushing for playing time. There are some really talented kids that aren't even here yet to add into the mix of the Oliver Martins and the Omar Mannings. And, hey, how about Wyatt Lewer? We didn't hear Wyatt Lewer's name until the last two plays of the game, and he made two terrific catches, popped himself wide open. He proved himself last fall as a guy that can make plays. And Levi Falk's another one in that in that batch. And let me throw one. Will Nixon, I thought, had a really good game. I don't want to forget him. He was number 12 in the white squad. I thought he made – a handful of really good catches, including a one-handed grab that was amazing late in, in the fourth quarter of that game. So there are just, I think, a lot more weapons for Nebraska on that offense than Scott Frost has had at any point in time in his tenure here in Lincoln. And as we are quickly losing time on our Zoom call, just uh, good old 
COVID remote recordings, but we'll hit it baseball real quick. They struggled this weekend against Rutgers at Haymarket Park, losing all three games. And a big talking point about their struggles was the bullpen was a, was a big one that stuck out, blowing a couple of leads, uh, most notably on Saturday. So what are your takeaways, Greg, from that series? And what are the biggest thing Will Bolt squad needs to work on going forward? Kind of saw this coming, to be honest with you guys. Uh, they didn't they didn't quite look like themselves in their last two road trips to Penn State and Michigan State. Even, even though they didn't quite look right, they still went five and one. But you're right. And out of the first two games, so the first 18 innings of that series, Nebraska was in front for 15 of those 18. They couldn't close the door either Friday night or Saturday with their bullpen. Saturday was probably the most disappointing game of the weekend. You have the 5-1 lead going to the seventh. Chance Roach pitched terrific through six innings. And then Braxton Bragg just didn't have it. Gave up the two long balls. And then Spencer Swellenbach didn't quite look the same either in his appearance. So disappointment, yeah, absolutely. But probably saw this coming. I think it's correctable. I think that this team needs to kind of find their mojo again. It's a long season in baseball. You play 44 games, at least this year. You're going to have a dip here or there. Indiana, who's in first place right now by a half a game, they lost a four-game series. They got swept in a four-game series earlier this year. So it happens. How you respond will be critical. There are big-time games still to come for this team to play in the month of May. Uh, they'll need to dig themselves out of the ditch and get ready to go to Piscataway this weekend and get after both Indiana and Rutgers. Yeah, you know, on Saturday, I think one of the things that stuck out the most to me was it just the body language was not great, especially towards the end. And you could just see the frustration. You could see it from Spencer, and it's just not working the way they want it to. Now they're kind of, they've kind of hit what is probably the low point of the year, and now you're going to see, you know, truly what they're what this group is made of. How do you think they bounce back this weekend in Piscataway? Well, they, they've only lost three games in a row one other time, and that was back early when they lost the last two games in Minneapolis in weekend two, and then lost the Friday game to the Iowa Hawkeyes. And they, they responded well by winning the rest of the series in Iowa City. I think they'll do the same thing. This is a pretty resilient group. It's a fiery group. It's a group that hates losing. I think that showed. I think you, you picked up on a great point there. I did not like the body language of Schwellenbach Saturday night late in that appearance for him. And I think that kind of set the tone for what was a, a bad outing for him, giving up runs in the eighth and ninth inning in, in that 6-5 loss to the, to the night. So – they need to put that behind them. Hopefully they get finals done this week, clear their head a little bit, take a deep breath, realizing they're only a half a game out of first place with a month to go and, and get geared up again. There's still a lot to play for. And uh, you certainly don't want to not hang on to a postseason berth after all the great work you did in March and April. Yeah. And it's better to have that season dip now rather than in late May, early June, when you're getting ready to go play a regional or, uh, getting ready to to play in that tournament. So better to have a mid-season dip than more of a late-season dip. And as you said, Greg, uh, they, they have responded from three straight losses before. Um, so nothing this group can't handle um, with this Rutgers sweep. But that's all the time we have for today with Greg Sharp. We talked about the spring game, Huskers getting drafted, the new schedule change, and Husker baseball. And uh, we really appreciate you joining us today, Greg. Um, obviously, you can... Hear him on Husker Baseball and Husker Football on the Husker Sports Network, and uh, you know where to find him on Twitter as well. But uh, thanks so much for joining us today, Greg, and uh, hopefully we will talk to you soon. You bet, guys. Have a great summer.
Thank you. Thanks. All right, that was Greg Sharp on Husker Sports Weekly. We talked about lots of Husker things, such as baseball, spring game, NFL draft, and the new schedule change, and that's what Grant and I will be talking about for the remainder of this episode. We talked about Fordham being inserted into that September 4th weekend, and we're just going to give you our way-too-early season predictions um, for the Husker team and uh, what their what their season is looking like. So, Grant, um, I'll, I'll kick it over to you. But first impressions of the schedule, obviously tough, but some winnable games, I would yeah, say. Yeah, no, I – you know, there's a lot of wiggle room in this schedule, just like there was a lot of wiggle room in last year's schedule. Uh, I thought, you know, a year ago, there was a lot of potential that it's just, it's just, there's going to be a lot of toss-up games. And the people who don't like Nebraska are going to say those are going to be losses. And the people who are too enamored with Nebraska are going to say those toss-ups are going to be wins. So that is where you're going to get your fluctuation. Uh, obviously, we're way too early. I'm not going to pick every game. I can give you certain categories five of them that five. Uh, each of these games fit into so i can do that now Go um for it. let's hear them so these range from sure win likely win toss up likely loss certain loss all right mm. and here are my qual- qualifications for each of these so fordham to me fits in the sure win category okay if nebraska loses the game to fordham you better knock on some wood <laughs> there right now. Are, there are so many issues that this team would have. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that one is sure win. So okay, cool. Can I stop you right there? Because yes. we're going to talk about this, about this being a sure win. 99%. And then September 4th is going to roll around, and we may look like idiots. So uh, It's true, but that's why this is quantified as way too early. So 99% chance is how I fit that one. Next is the likely win category. This fits Illinois, Buffalo, and Purdue. This is a 75% chance of victory for these games. Illinois and Buffalo both breaking in new head coaches. Uh, Brett Bielema, I think his team is going to close very strong. I really do. Uh, But at the start of the year, I think there's going to be some issues. So, great coach, but still early, so I, that's why I put Illinois in that category. Toss-up games, and this is probably the most interesting portion of the schedule to me because Michigan State, Northwestern, Michigan, and Minnesota, all four games in a row through the last week of September to the third week of October, and all four games to me are toss-ups. It is going to be an interesting stretch that is going to make or break this team because you are very easily could be looking at a team that is and 3-1 to 2-2 two and two during that stretch. And this stretch makes or breaks Nebraska's season. So all of these games are a range from 60% chance to win, like a Michigan State, to a 40% chance to win, such as a Michigan or a Minnesota. So that's my range of the toss-up, 60 to 40%. Now, for the likely losses, that's Wisconsin and Iowa, the last two games of the year. This is about a 60 or about a 75% chance to lose that Wisconsin and Iowa game. Yes, Nebraska, I think, will be close in both, but as we've found in the last few years, they're close. They just can't quite get it done. And mm. so that's kind of the way I look at those Wisconsin-Iowa games. The buff- the bye week between Ohio State and Wisconsin is huge. Uh, I-, I can't – like the wizardry with that Bill Moose did with the schedule there to work that in, uh, that is well done. That's going to help Nebraska a lot. I just don't think it's enough. And then my certain loss category, this is a 99% chance to lose. 
uh, Ohio State on the 6th, and Oklahoma on the 18th of September. Those are my two um, certain losses. So we will narrow those categories down as we get closer, but that's how I look at the schedule. Yeah, I would agree with that for, honestly, probably the whole schedule. Uh, Illinois is a game that absolutely terrifies me. I know they're working in a new coach, but still, they had our number right. last year. We played awful. Right. Against the fighting line, or I guess the the king. You know, I just now. crossed my fingers that we just never wear all black uniforms again. <laughs> like yeah, I said, we look damn good doing it, but did not get the result we wanted. <laughs> Losses don't look good to me. <laughs> but yeah, I'm gonna say uh, I'll just go game by game here. But Illinois, I'll say I'm gonna go likely to toss up because that game just gives me nightmares leading up. To yeah, this I mean season. it's definitely on the low end of 75 percent to me. Mm-hmm. But Fordham and Buffalo are – Fordham's definitely a sure win. Buffalo is a very high to likely win to very low sure win. Um, Oklahoma, I will agree with you, is a certain loss that many people are saying this is their best chance to They're go gonna for be the really good. The, you know, This team is going to really change the perceptions of the Big 12's failures defensively, I think. Right. Um, they're going to be extremely potent offensively. And that defensive front seven is going to be nasty. Which is something the Big 12 is not very used to. Yep. So lots, <laughs> lots of teams the, in their conference are going to be shell-shocked. If they don't run the table in the Big 12, this will be an extreme disappointment. Yes. They can't come out like they did last year, losing, what, going one and two. Right, and going on the road and losing to Iowa State. I mean, right. it's, it's not the same team. And then at Michigan State, um, I'll probably say that's a likely win. I uh, that's what I agree with as. you. I, I put it as a toss-up, but it's it's on my high end of toss-ups. Uh, you know, just like Greg said earlier in the episode, Mel Tucker's group in Michigan is a total enigma. I really don't understand. Like, they played some really great games last year, and they played some really, truly awful games. Mm-hmm. And so, how like, how do you tell between the team that beat Michigan and the team that lost to – right, they lost to Rutgers, didn't they? Uh, uh, yes, they close, did. The first, the first game of the year they did. Yeah, so it's like, how, how do you tell which team is which, especially with, like Greg mentioned, when all these guys are transferring out of there? There's blood in the water. I, But at the same time, he's a good coach. Like, experience tells me he's a good coach. And so that one is very, very, very hard to feel out. Well, I didn't even know they had 25 guys transfer out this semester until Greg said so <laughs> early right. in the episode. So. Uh, I'm going to take that very very literally and say, okay, we're going to beat Michigan State. But as you mentioned, they did play some really good games last year, and they also played some really terrible games last year. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that game shapes out. Uh, October 2nd versus Northwestern, that is for sure a toss-up. Could go either way. Goes either way every single year. Comes down to the last play. Comes down to overtime. Just about always. So comes it's – it, that'll be a fun game. That game will never be anything but a toss-up. It I does know. not matter how much talent is on either team. That game is always going to be good. Yes, and I'm very. That's homecoming. It's at home. It's the Big Ten opener in Memorial Stadium. So that'll be a very fun game. Very yes. good atmosphere. Uh, it, Northwestern will be an interesting team to watch this year. Obviously, not going to be as good as they were last year. Uh, defense took some losses. They have a solid recruiting class coming in. They do. But uh, they will no Patty Fisher. No Patty Fisher. I'm gonna guess they're gonna be around a six and six team, maybe right. five and seven. And I like I I hate trying to field Northwestern out too, because last year I would have said they would have been about a 500 team, maybe a little bit above, and they 
greatly exceeded expectations. Yeah, I, I did not know how they were going to be last year. So right now, and this is May 4th, may the 4th be with you, I'm going to say Northwestern's going to be around that 6-6 six and six range. That prediction could very well change come August, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Uh, the next week, hosting Michigan, another very weird team to yes. feel out. They were not good last year. Right. Lots of NFL draft picks, but they were not good. So I'm going to throw that one as a toss-up as well. I and, just, and I just I, – I look at that Michigan game, and I really hope that as a program we have enough confidence going into that game to win it. Because I think there's a lot of issues where I, I, I almost wonder if – you know, some of the guys who haven't been in the Big Ten before probably don't think this way, but some of them who have probably think, oh, here comes Michigan, and kind of get scared of the M and one of the top five winning or top ten winningest programs in college football history. You know, they should not be terribly impressive. So, I mean, I, I just hope the confidence is there. And that could be you – could, you could face Michigan after coming off of potential wins against Michigan State and Northwestern. Right. So you could potentially be five and one going into that game. I know it's a very optimistic prediction. Right, at best you would think five yeah, and one. Yeah, five and one going into that game. You also could be like three and three going into that game. Right. So right, it, it could be very interesting. But uh, lots of momentum could be built up going into that game at Minnesota. Uh, no, no more Bateman. They still have Tanner Morgan. Don't know really too much about the rest still of their team. Still have Ibrahim. Yes, they do. Who tore us apart terrifying. last year? Oh my goodness! I, Terrible game against yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Very oh, disappointing. Ugh. That game I'll put as a toss up as well. Uh, moving on to Purdue, I think I think I think there's a very low likely win scenario against Purdue because we had their number last year. Mm-hmm. Martinez and Frost hadn't beat them until last year, and we mm-hmm. did it in pretty convincing, I would say, fashion. Yeah, I know I mean, we, we let them the back in. The we left the door open late, but that was yeah. But no, no more Rondale Moore. Um, Still got a couple of really good receivers. They though. do. They do. But I think that's going to be – I'll put that in the low likely win toss-up favoring Nebraska side. Um, Ohio State, certain loss. I hate to say it. I really want to beat Ohio State one of these days. It'll They're probably so never happen. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that'll be a certain loss. Big bye week heading at Wisconsin. Another weird team. Looked like they were going to be really good in Graham Mertz's debut. Then they kind of were brought back down to earth after they played Northwestern and weren't like they won their bowl game in pretty convincing fashion. But a, another weird team that was lingering around 500. And it'll be Graham Mertz's second year. He'll know he's starting more than a week before the game. So that'll help them out. Yep. And, um,. Yeah, it's just weird. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that one's probably a likely loss. And and then versus Iowa. I'm gonna throw all the numbers out and all the talent out, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be bold and say that one's a toss up because it has been the last uh, yeah. three years it right. has been a toss up. And, and I think, think that about all these con- games continue. like you know, Nebraska last year, one possession game against Northwestern. One per, I mean, they won against Purdue, but that was within 10 points, if I remember correctly. It, it, it was a 10-point win. It probably should have been more. But it should have been more. But there, it was one possession. It did not reflect One possession against difference. Minnesota. One possession against uh, Iowa. I didn't already mention that. So it's like they've been in these games. They've been a possession away 
but have never been able to finish. Mm-hmm. And they still struggle to finish drives offensively where you're settling for field goals when you have first and goal. So can they, like, I think that's the deciding factor for this year. Can they really get over the hump on that? Because that's been their biggest weakness, I think. Yeah. And it, when you think about it, only 12 points in the last three years have been the difference between Nebraska and Iowa. The, the two the two game-winning right. field goals in 2018-19 and then the six-point difference last year when it seems like we couldn't get a, a good snap to save our lives yeah. in Iowa City. So uh, that will do it for our football schedule way-too-early predictions. I'm going to guess six to eight seven wins, wins. eight win ceiling yeah. i would agree with that i would love eight wins That'd four be awesome. should be six if they don't if they don't get six wins it's going to be a really dark day <laughs> <laughs> that black friday will be very very disappointing yeah which, so th- we'll we'll revisit this when we're getting closer to august 28th probably when we're back in lincoln indeed um which will be a little bit over three months, days. four months from now. Yeah, so it'll be like 10 days-ish before the season starts. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll have a lot more content coming up before the season. We'll have content throughout the summer, um, about mainly about baseball, see how they're doing. And uh, we'll be revisiting some old guests that we've had on the show to kind of revisit with them and have some more interesting episodes about their backstories and uh, how they got to where they are covering the Huskers as well, which will be really cool. So that'll do it for us on episode 42 of Husker Sports Weekly. We were joined by Greg Sharp, which was super awesome. We talked Husker football and Husker baseball, and uh, we'll be back next week for our first episode of the summer, which is weird to say. Grant and I will finally yes, be remote time to go again. home. Time to go home. Time to go, uh, well, I guess you're not going that far. But. 45 minutes down, down the road. So up the road, I guess, actually. East. North. Northeast. Northeast. East. So um, yeah, it'll be it'll be a, a long summer, but we will be back um, throughout the summer. So yeah. We're not going anywhere. We are not going anywhere. So uh, we will join you next week with a very brand new episode of Oscar Sports Weekly. We really appreciate you listening. Don't forget to find our show on Spotify and Anchor.fm. Follow Grant on Twitter at Hanson15 underscore Hanson. Myself at C underscore Clark underscore 27. And follow our Twitter page at Hornhusker Media uh, for all of the updates surrounding our podcast and just more Husker news that can keep you intrigued throughout the summer. So once again, thanks so much for tuning in. We will see you next week. Go Big Red.